Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This is the Formula Nerds podcast where we talk everything F1, the latest results, what's going on in the sport, controversy, and of course, rumours. Hello and welcome back to the Formula Nerds podcast. Um, it's only been a day since we were with you, but oh my God, what has actually occurred in one day? It's unbelievable. Um, F1 is boring! <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, who's, who's that crazy yank in the background there? But that's Matt. Um, we've also got someone new with us today. So we'll, we'll, we'll go around the table. We've got Johnny. Hello, everyone. You can't see me, so I need to speak. How are you? <laughs> Doing well? We've Excellent. got Callum. Hello, all. We've got Matt, as you've heard. That's right. Welcome back for the second episode. Glad you're here. We've got Emma. Hello, hello. And, and we've, we've got this normal bloke. Hello, everybody. My name's Will. Um, so, yeah, we're bringing in Will today. He wasn't available for the first podcast, but Will, if you don't know, if you don't recognise that voice, he is our, um, he's the face of the Formula Nerds, really. Um, so. If you don't recognise that voice, you're not a true fan. You're not a real nerd. You, what are you doing? Yeah, get from under that rock you're living under if you've not seen him yet. Exactly. So we've, we've got Will with us today. But first of all, I just want to say, Wow. We had 705 subscribers in one day to our podcast, which I, I find that quite unbelievable. So thank you to everyone who has subscribed, downloaded. I hope you enjoyed it and you're going to listen to this one as well um, because we've got some great stuff to talk about today, which is the one, the only Tuscan GP. Now, what's make, going to make this episode amusing is that one of the Formula Nerds, yeah, called himself a Formula Nerd, hasn't seen the race, and that is Cal. So everything we're talking about is new to him, and th there's, no, there's no trickery here. He has not seen the race. How do you feel about that, Cal? Um, at the minute, I'm just filled with anticipation. I just want you guys to tell me what went on. Like, I finished work an hour and a half ago, and I've jumped on this call with you guys. I'd avoided spoilers all day. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done. 
because we knew that this call was happening. So I committed and now I'm just waiting. I feel like time's going at like a third of the speed it should be. So let's just get on with it, please. <laughs> Who do you think's won? Well, I, me, Ollie and Matt had a brief chat before this call. And there was a little wager, wasn't there, Matt? Uh, Cyril Abitable is not the only one with a uh, segment of skin up for claiming. Uh, so the wager as it stands is if Cal <laughs> guesses this podium correctly, I will be tattooing the Formula Nerds logo somewhere on my body. Of my choosing, not Cal. But uh, we're going to spice it up a little bit. Straight. Oh, my God, mate. Are you sure about this? Oh. 100%. I've had are we sure? Straight. He's committed now. That's it. We're going for it's it. Out there. It's out there. It's on the interweb. It stays on the interweb. It's true. I have to hold to it. So okay. I have to guess the, the podium in the right order. In the right order. And how many, how many guesses does he have at this? I think he gets three, but for every guess, it gets a little bit smaller. It's going to be my hope. <laughs> Sounds like uh, a fair. I'm excited to hear this. I, oh, I, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Go, go for it, Callum. Let's have it, Cal. Right, I'm going to go... And I genuinely haven't seen anything, by the way. This is 100% legit just a guess. I'm going to use my guess that I guessed before. So I'm going to go Albon first. Perez second, Leclerc third. There's one. I'm safe for one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go, let's, let's throw it in. Uh, Raikkonen first. What? Stroll second, Verstappen third. You are safe for another round. Move on to your final guess. I like the boldness of the guesses here, though. Well, uh, from the, the very little description I've had of the race, I know it's chaotic, so you've got to guess what, like, boldly, haven't you? <laughs> but if Raikkonen um, winning, that is a bold guess. I'll give you that one. <laughs> Well, if Gasly won last week, you know, why not? Go on for your third guess. I'm looking at Matt's face here. He he thinks he's nearly at the finish line. (laughs) Third guess, I'm going to go... I'm going to go Albon uh, first again. I'm pretty confident with that. I've got... Judging by Matt's face, obviously the the listeners can't see it, but judging by his face, (laughs) I'm going to say Albon was first. Um, Ricardo second. And stroll third. <laughs> I remain intact. When he no. said Albon, I thought it was game over. I thought he was about to hit the nail on the head. I was thinking, oh, he's yeah. When well, he first, said it first, I thought, I thought he was going to go reverse order. Yeah. And I was going to have to start designing the tattoo now. <laughs> <laughs> so Hamilton won the race. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Silence okay. speaks volumes. <laughs> Bottas was second. He's going, where's the madness? This is just a continuation <laughs> of the norm. Yeah. And Albon got third. Well, all this suspense was for nothing. It's another Mark <laughs> 1-2. Oh, no, no. It's not. It's, to be honest Jesus with Christ. <laughs> Wait, all day for a Hamilton Bottas 1-2. <laughs> <laughs> it gets better. It's not the podium me. that was exciting. Come on, so, give me the deets. Let's go. Let's go. I want to hear. So I've got... <laughs> I've got a note to myself here when I was watching the race, which says, keep your eyes on Gasly. Um, what happened to Gasly at the beginning? Should we start, should we start there? Well, it was, it was a Gasly sandwich, wasn't it? It's the same thing happened at Monza. I felt, I felt a bit bad for him as well, because I thought 
as much as like we were all hyping him up last week, you know, oh, he's finally proved himself. It, I mean, and as good a drive as it was, it just, it, it proves again that it might, you know, he has still got a long way to go. Like he is still a young guy and he's still, I think, got a lot to, to, to kind of learn and a lot of really you know, like good habits to cultivate in the sport. So, I mean, as much as I wanted to see him like pushing again, it kind of, you know, it felt normal. It was like, okay, we're back to sort of the, the usual routine. To to highlight it, Callum, for you, um, the first lap uh, took about 20 minutes to finish. Through four corners before, um, before something quite serious happened. And then the race um, was under a safety car. I'm quitting so, my job. I'm never missing a race. <laughs> this start was, uh, it was insane. Absolutely insane. So the TV cameras couldn't decide where to point where, uh, during, what was this, second corner when all this started to go off? So mm-hmm. um, looking here, and my notes are all over the place, but I've got Max out first. That's the way that the cameras showed it. And um, we also had Sainz spinning out after hitting a racing point. We had Gasly out after hitting an alpha of Kimi Raikkonen. Um, he then launched up into the air and took out Max Verstappen. And then Vettel toodles along here and goes straight into Sainz, who's in the middle of the road. He was pointed the right direction, and that is the key point in that for me. <laughs> that is a big step for Ferrari. I agree. <laughs> So let me get this right. After four corners, five cars were impacted in this race. Is that right? Oh, don't forget, don't forget, in uh, true to his form, Romain Grosjean lost his wing in that incident as well, in part of the little uh, sandwich going on there. All right, so a little question on that. Was it with another car or a wall? <laughs> That's a genuine question because it's guys, it's more than his crashes. Come on, give the guy credit. He's got nine podiums. How are people forgetting this? And everyone's talking up Hulkenberg going, Oh, isn't he great? He's not got any. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I'm English, I should hate him, but he's brilliant. Well, all right, that might be a bit far, but um, he's not awful. So it was with another car then to answer the question, <laughs> yeah. For the yeah. first time in a long time, I will not make that Roman Grosjean's fault. Uh, however, on the he's great statement, let's not forget the man crashed out warming up his tires. Hey, hey, we don't, let's, hey, hey, come on now. Let we, let's not get bogged down in who can keep control of their multi-million pound car and who can't, all right? Let, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we, what happened next? So many things I want to say on that topic. We would be here all day. So I'm going to swiftly move on from it. Um, That brought out a safety car. Let's not also forget sticking with uh, Haas drivers and their greatness. At that point, didn't Kevin Magnussen get up to 12th or 13th? 11. I think he he maxed out at 11. Which is just unheard of. Uh, we, We know Kevin Magnussen's a very aggressive driver. He has the pace on Sunday. He doesn't seem to always get it right on Saturday, but when it comes to grit and determination, he's hard to find somebody on his level uh, in the field. And to see that and to see a Haas ahead of a four-time world champion, as he does, uh, kind of really puts things in perspective of just how far off the norm this race was and how far off the norm Ferrari was this week as well. Well, all season, but yeah. 
Let's just recap that Vettel drove straight into um, Sykes, who was in the middle of the road. To be fair, he, mm-hmm. he was pointing in the right direction. He, he did his best to try and avoid that, but you cannot control the spinning car. Thank you. So I'm not the biggest Vettel fan, and I'm defending him here. No, I that's don't a fair think point, yeah. He, I, I actually don't think he could have done anything else. Okay. It looked like Sir, Vettel was changing direction three times to try and avoid signs. Uh, so he did. he did really do his best. At 200 miles an hour, so. So, what happened to Verstappen? We've not touched on that yet. From previous races, I'm assuming that he went full bore, straight in the back of someone, spun out, ended up in some gravel trap somewhere and couldn't leave the car. Verstappen had quite a bad start to the race, in all honesty. He had a few engine problems um, just before the race. Um, and um, he lost a lot of places at the start. So he ended up kind of like in the midfield um, and then got caught up and everything. I think he was actually hit from behind and he got launched into the gravel trap. Now, once you were in that gravel trap, you are beached and that's the end of the race. And he just got launched into that gravel trap and that ended his race for him. Okay, so it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. No, I think he got hit from behind. Yeah. Oh, Okay. But we, we must also take note, Verstappen said his race was over anyway, didn't they? Due to, was it due to... Due to the engine issues, yeah. 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 Okay. So is that some issues with Honda or Red Bull, do you think? Do you think it was the engine that Honda had given them or do you think it was Red Bull's sort of maintenance on the engine? I feel like issue? it was Honda's issue because Red Bull have had a great track record, I, I would have said. I mean, like the amount of power that Verstappen managed to extract from it at, at its 70th anniversary GP and their mechanics have proved that they're not you know, they don't, they don't lie about. Uh, so in the post-race interview, Max was talking about it was an anti-stall issue. He had three times that it bogged out. He got to fifth gear, uh, trying to short shift, obviously, for turn one. Uh, that comes down to mainly a strategy and mapping issue. Uh, so that's going to be mainly on the race engineers to get him off the line and get into those correct setups and presets, as far as I understand it, going through. Uh, and as far as I understand, Emma, you know much better than I do. Uh, the engineers are given the platform and the programming from Honda and then allowed to preset and change their parameters for air and fuel mapping and ignition timing advance and all of that. So it would be one of their, just a poor parameter input is how I'm interpreting it. Uh, and just could it be a simple programming glitch that caused him to drop from, what was it, third to about 14th at the time of impact? Yeah, I think he went down as far as, I think it was 12th, 13th, 14th, something like that, yeah. But no, that's absolutely spot on, Matt. Absolutely spot on. So that does that sum up the second corner for you, Cal? Well, a lot happened there, didn't it? Um, you know, I'm not going to get the full feel of it until I actually see it. But Jesus, you know, I'm, like I said before, I am never going to work on a Sunday again. Like, that's not happening. I, I will quit my job if I have to. We then had six laps behind the bright red safety guard. Ferrari was leading. It was a red car in front, right? It was, it was, it was. It was actually Mercedes. The only way but, uh, that Ferrari would win was with Mercedes power. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that looked wicked. I really thought it was a nice touch, actually. What, you know, what were your guys' thoughts on that? I know it's a one-off, it's a bit of a gimmick, but we got to see enough of this damn red safety car, didn't we, over the race? It definitely got its screen time. Uh, and being a Tifosi, uh, that was a great touch. I love the old retro livery. Uh, but there were some very, very subtle nods in the helmets for Seb and Charles. 
Uh, Seb's helmet mm. was actually a blueprint of the 125S, which I nerded out to. Thought it was just that cool thing. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as the safety car came in, who wants to just take a pop at explaining what happened next? I had to. I had to kind of keep rewinding and rewatching what what it actually happened because I was trying to put myself in the cars at the back. So as the safety car pulled in, the lights went green. There was, you know, a marshal waving a green flag and Bottas was leading at this point. And he was, he was going at his own pace. He was going a little bit slower, but he was kind of keeping everybody behind him, just waiting to get up to the safety car line. And then the guys at the back because it's such a long straight, you can't really see the guys at the front of the pack. So the guys at the back, you had Giovinazzi, Latifi, Magnuson. What they did was, I think, I think Latifi was the instigator in what happened, if I'm honest. They floored it, not realising that everyone at the front of the grid was going really slowly behind Bottas. And there was essentially four cars in a huge collision at the back of the grid, which then red flagged the race. You had Latifi, Giovinazzi, Sainz and Magnussen all crashed out. Um, I think Giovinazzi got launched into the air and, um, and they were all in the wall. And it was just absolute carnage at the back of the grid. And I had to keep rewinding it and, and forwarding it again just to kind of see like if you, you know, where the green flags were. But when you came around the corner and if you were at the back of the pack, you could see that the flags were green, the lights were green. Naturally, you just floor it. Um, so you, you know, the, the guys at the back floored it, not realising that everyone at the front was going really slowly behind Bottas and they just all careered into each other. On that as well, uh, you know, Latifi definitely uh, contributed to that wreck. Uh, I also wonder if Kevin Maxim was in a, weird spot on the track where there wasn't an informational ball there to see when the car went or the lights went green uh, because he was the one that Latifi came up behind and swerved to go around the left-hand side of. And I think it was Giovinazzi that was coming up behind Latifi full bore. I mean, to his credit, Giovinazzi was going for it. Uh, he just did not realize that Kevin Magnuson was watching possibly the car in front of him or didn't see the green flag and just lamb blasted him in the rear end and it was just carnage from there. Uh, and I think it was mentioned in the broadcast as well. They're talking about protecting your lead versus safety versus the rear jumping the start potentially, because as you mentioned, you can't see the car in front of you. Uh, so it was a very dangerous scenario for some of those guys in the midfield, uh, you know, especially for Carlos Sainz when I believe it was Latifi came down on top of him or in front of him. However that played out, I can't remember at the moment. At the shot where they looked back down the grid, and you could see the bollards and the lights were all green, and Botas is still warming his tires up, and then goes, and the crash has already happened behind him. Uh, so I don't think we could truly blame it on Valtteri Botas. Uh, I think it could be an issue with the way the regulations are written. And also, the light goes green. Green, green means go. We all learned that as kids driving around with our parents. And you can't – there's somebody is at fault. I don't know who it is. Uh, as much as I hate to admit it, I don't believe it's Valtteri Botas. I think it was just an unfortunate accident with timing and spacing there. 
Mm. Bottas didn't do anything wrong because, you know, the regulations state that, you know, um, you can go as slow as you want pretty much (laughs) to hold the pack up. And then when the lights go green, you go at your own pace and that's when you go. But um, yeah, Bottas didn't do anything wrong at all. But I think it was the issue where the guys at the back couldn't see what was going on at the front. And then Greenman's go, they're going to put the foot down. Um, But the only thing is you're not supposed to overtake until you get across the safety car line. And Latifi went for it. And he looked as if he was about to overtake, but he could also argue that he was avoiding a collision, so he had to overtake. Um, but he he looked as if he was going to take half, you know overtake half the pack. Um, but no, I agree. I don't think Bottas was not at fault at all. He was well within the regulations. But then that brings you to a point where, well, in terms of safety, especially at a circuit like that, do we need to see a bit of a change in the regulations under the safety car? Exactly. That's those are my thoughts precisely. Actually, just just like going back to what actually Johnny said uh, uh, last podcast about not being you know like a, a big nerd and things like uh, from a fan's point of view. If I hadn't seen F one before and I heard someone say, "Oh, well, it's, you know, Bossas was just protecting his lead." That's the thing that I've made the note on here is the way the commentator said Valtteri's protecting his lead. What's the problem? I thought when you become that ingrained in sport that you can't understand the safety implications and the idea that a lead really doesn't matter. And that, I mean, personally, just as my thought, okay, that, you know, okay, he didn't have to, and I respect his, you know, his ability to, you know, drive within the regulations, but it was dangerous. Maybe Grosjean overreacted. Like, uh, I think someone said in the chat, this definitely wasn't the worst thing that Grosjean has seen because he's created worse. I think that was your point emma which is very true yes. um <laughs> but uh but it is it is something worth bearing in mind i mean is he's in a far he's in the, one of the fastest cars on the grid he's an experienced driver if he needs to protect his lead does he deserve that drive i don't think so i think he's good enough that he doesn't need to do that i don't know what your thoughts are maybe i'm being a bit over safety conscious but i think the sport's dangerous enough as it is I've got quite strong views on this, and I, I think that that whole scenario was unacceptable. Now, putting putting blame, um, if you have to put someone at blame, I, I'd say it's the regulations themselves. Mm. Um, but if I was the back of the pack, surely you're always looking at the driver in front of you. When they go, you go, right? So there's got to be someone at fault because someone didn't go or someone braked or, or there has to be. And, you know, we need to, I think there'll be quite a big investigation into this, looking back at exactly who did what and why they did it. But I can see every side of the story where you've got a green light, you're going for it. I can see Bottas protecting his lead. Um but I can't think of many tracks where you've got such a long straight before the start finish line, if you see what I'm saying. Normally you would just blast off the last corner, but um, the commentators also made note that Bottas was right behind the safety car all the way until that start finish straight, wasn't he? So he, he didn't let the safety car go as we, we usually see. Well, also with the regulations, Botas is not required to go once the green flag is dropped until he crosses the safety car line, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, That's so- correct. Possibly they could do a rewrite in that once the safety car moves away from the pack, they could take it out of the driver's hands to take away that quote unquote protecting the lead. And as soon as the green lights are on, everybody is free to go at that point. So we don't have this concertina accordion effect going on throughout the field that could lead to this. Uh, Granted, I've never driven an F1 car. I don't think I'd fit. But also uh, with the sight lines now, as far as I understand, they can't really see below the main supports for the wing. It's very hard to see that spatial awareness. And when that car goes, 
all it takes, like we saw today, all it takes is one person in the wrong place at the wrong speed, but not everybody going at the same time, and it can lead to just straight catastrophe like we had today. So something needs to be You've also got to think that this has never been tried and tested at Mugello. This is the first time we have ever raced at Mugello in a Formula One car. So this particular scenario under a safety car has never been done before. Um, I think that's also why we had a a lot of chaos at this race is because we've never been here before. And the cars at the speed that they're at, um, they're faster than the MotoGP bikes, which go around this, you know, Mugello all the time. Um, You know, I think it's because it's never been tried and tested. I think we were going to have a lot of chaos anyway. But I think that's one big issue. But certainly it probably will be investigated after the race. So as someone who's not seen the race, to sum it up, from what I understand, is that the safety car was out, Bottas was in the lead, he did everything correctly in your eyes? Yeah. And then basically someone in the midfield's not gone as fast as they possibly should have done and there's been a massive collision. Is that basically there to sum it up? The the guys at the back of the grid literally put their foot to the floor when there was the green light. When but the, the guys in the midfield in. didn't. But the guys at the front and the midfield were just literally sitting behind Bottas waiting for him to go because he was in the lead. He was the one that had to set the pace. And he was not wanting to go until he crossed that safety car line. But the guys at the back, seeing the green flags and the green light coming into the main straight from, you know, coming round from the corner, they literally put their foot down the minute they saw that green light. It's instinct as a race yeah. car driver. And you I think that as well... They would have assumed that every other driver on the grid would have put their foot down on the green light, wouldn't mm-hmm. they? You know, some guys yeah. might not have done because they may have been sort of seeing what was going on in front and no, they couldn't have. So I guess it's catch 22, isn't it? You, you know, the regulations seem to work at other tracks, but this one, like you said, Emma, they've not been there before in F1. So and arguably, it's a learning a, curve, isn't it? If you're, if you're kind of at the back of the grid as well, you're going to be wanting to take any opportunity. If you see cars ahead of you not going as fast as you, you think, great, I've got a chance here to make up a place maybe. So that kind of like that, you know, fever kicks in and you think, go, go, go. So I, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's all Bottas' fault, by the way. I, you know, if the regulations say that, you fair play to him, but it seems like a complete sort of breakdown of communication or, or clarification. Or as Emma said, a lack of testing because it's an unknown at this track. Uh, so the spacing and the speeds and the closing distances to those informational ballers just may not have been there because they didn't have time to drive a car around and go, oh, I have a three-second gap where I'm not seeing a bolt. That, that's a very good point, and I hadn't even considered that, and I fair play on that. I've heard enough now on that sort of second phase of the race. Let's move it on to the next bit. So obviously I'm keen to actually go and watch this race now. <laughs> it's worth just noting how many cars went out. So we, we saw Giovinazzi have the huge crash um, into the back of, who, who did he hit the back of? Evan Magnus. I think it was Latifi, was it? Latifi had gone Magnuson. Left, hit Magnuson and then careened into. Oh yeah. yeah. Signs went out, Latifi, Magnuson and Giovinazzi. So there was four cars in that collision on the straight and then previous to that you had Gasly um, Verstappen went out as well so at this moment in time what there was six cars out yeah so we, we had 13 after this we had 13 cars remaining according to my notes um, 
and we did have a bit of concern for science as to whether he had a hand injury, but he seemed okay, didn't he, in the end? Everybody was, thankfully. You know, we had, a, we had a red flag in the race last week, but before that, it was three years that we went without a red flag in a race. Um, it takes us back to Baku 2017. Um, we're now at the stage where, you know, we've had two in two races. Um, and we then went to the standing start, didn't we, after that? So they, were, they weren't going to do another uh, or even risk a safety car start. That was pretty obvious. So we went, we went to the second restart. Um Standing start, Lewis P2, Bottas P1, and Lewis's car, the brakes were pretty much on fire, weren't they? Thing was smoking like a Cohiba on the line there. It was pretty impressive to watch, actually. So I, I think this, this, this part for me, it, you know, it's, well, we, we've got great battles happening all over the field, but you've got Bottas in P1, you've got Lewis in P2. Bottas has needed to show his his backbone to Lewis for quite a while now. And, you know, there's pressure on him from, from all, all different areas to um, beat Lewis fair and square. And um, what happened next was pretty, pretty disappointing in my eyes. Elaborate. Let's go. I need to hear it. Lewis slipstreamed him into turn one and took the lead. Simple as that. <laughs> so, really? so kind of melancholy. And handed it to Hamilton because of his start is kind of how it, appeared to me because he jumped all over it and Hamilton capitalized as he does. And, and Bottas to me didn't really even put his elbows out. This was just a textbook overtake. Um, and after one lap, the Mercedes, well, the two Mercedes had a five second lead. So just to recap that then, after the restart of the red flag, they had a standing start on the grid. Bottas in P1, Hamilton P2. Hamilton took Bottas in the first corner and then by the end of the lap, they were five seconds clear. Yeah. That's, that is outrageous pace, isn't it? Pretty incredible. Uh, on that that, that lap, is stupid pace. On that lap, I actually have this info written down. Uh, Charles Leclerc was 3.2 seconds slower that lap. <laughs> that is I insane. Feel, I feel a bit ill. Matt, as a Ferrari fan, that must be really kicking you in the nuts right now. It was doubly bad because one of my notes I wrote down for this was Stroll is easily holding on to Leclerc without DRS. And I just wanted to rage quit the day at that point. <laughs> I to write that down in my notebook. It gutted me, to put it lightly. Everyone just started picking off Leclerc at that point. It was quite, it was quite sad to watch. I mean, with, with such a historic race for them, Vettel was sitting pretty much nowhere. Um, you know, Leclerc was up there trying to hold it together, trying to keep up on pace. But yeah, as you say, that that three seconds a lap slower, and then everyone behind him. You had Stroll, um, Perez. You know, everybody just started picking him off one by one, and it was quite sad to see, really. In that gap, Stroll passed uh, Charles Leclerc on lap eighteen for third. Then Albon got him on lap twenty for fifth. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo passed him for 19th, uh, excuse me, on the 19th lap for fourth. And then Sergio Perez got him on lap 21 within, four, he lost four places in six laps. It just, it was a, a robbery. Was and I was just gutted to watch that. I also made note of the brutal impact we had of DRS at this circuit. It was, the, the, it was incredible compared to other circuits. You know, the force was, 
it was unstoppable if you had DRS. How many DRS zones was there? I'm, I'm, I'm Everybody looked left, try and do the math at the exact same time. That was. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I think there was, was only one. one. Yeah. Yeah. Was it only just one. Down the main straight. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's all they needed, though. It was just. It was hack mode. So what happened next? So we've just sort of restarted the race. We've sort of heard about the end of the first lap. Leclerc's going backwards because he's so fucking slow. What <laughs> happened next? He went, he went from third to dead last, which at that point was 13th on lap 22 because he pitted. So seven cars were out of the race. At that point, yeah. yeah. Wow. And we're at lap 20. <laughs> lap 20 and seven cars are out of the race. Fuck me. And people say that F1 is boring. Let's hear for the old tracks. Come on now. And then, then it, then it, we had a, a, I think it was about lap 25. Lewis begins complaining about tires. Oh, uh, yes, that was on my bingo uh, list. So I, I think that's a natural, natural point for us to take a break. Uh, <laughs> recompose ourselves because I'm just sweating thinking about the action of this race. It's been, if you're still with us, I'm sure you'll agree that this has been a heck of a race and even just trying to describe it is proving quite a challenge. But um, let's take a short break and then we'll talk about Lewis and his tyres. If you don't already, make sure you follow The Formula Nerds on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Formula Nerds. We're also on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Formula Nerds. And we're on Twitter, Formula Nerds. We're even on YouTube, Formula Nerds. There is no excuse. You can't get away from us. And our podcast is now on iTunes because you're listening to it. So we've covered the first phase of the race, I'd say. I'd say we've just about done the first phase. Uh, what, what lap are we up to? I believe it was lap 20. Yeah, lap 20 or 22. Uh, Ferrari getting obliterated on the main straight. Charles falling like a rock through the order. Uh, so what happened next, guy, next, guys? Where are we going from here? Then, oh yeah, then we got to twenty-five, where Lewis is complaining about his rears sliding. This is this is a bit I thought found really interesting, and I, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, guys. So, uh, lap thirty-one, Bottas radios in and says, he, "Well, he doesn't say. He demands the opposite strategy to whatever Lewis is doing." Um, so he essentially, if Lewis takes softs, he wants hards. If Lewis wants hards, he takes softs. That's what I understood from it. At which point, what happened? I'll be honest, I'm not, I'm not very qualified to talk on this. I fell asleep during this point because I thought it was going to get back to a normal race. I'm not even joking, but then I woke up for a bit. So somebody else take this. I'm totally unqualified. Let's go, Emma. We got this. <laughs> I just find that really funny. Well. <laughs> I was up until three editing. I'm so sorry. Asleep? How could you fall asleep during this race? I was literally glued to the TV. I was on the edge of my seat. Um, throughout the whole race, um, you know, such a such a massive surprise. Um, but yeah, so Bottas with um, yeah demanding the complete opposite from what Hamilton was doing, um, which I completely understand um, because he want he he's trying to find anything, clutching at straws to try and get ahead of Lewis. Um, so of course he's what he's wanting to do the opposite strategy. But what what I actually found. Um, quite interesting was that um, I can't remember what stage in the race it was I think it was towards the latter stages um, 
when Bottas pitted and then Hamilton pitted after him and went on the same the same tyres. So, you know, even though he decided that he wanted to do, uh, you know, wanted to go on a different strategy um, to Lewis, it didn't actually really work out for him in the end because, well, they're a team, obviously. They want to finish on a one-two. Um, so the team are going to do what's best for both drivers. Um, but yeah, I don't really know what, what else, you know, what much else Bottas can really do. Um, Hamilton's just like on his game at the moment. I agree. I just saw this as, okay, Ham- uh, Bottas ended up pitting first because his tyres just died. Um, so it wasn't like Mercedes could then uh, put on the other tyre and just say, okay, all right, fine. But what I really found interesting is Hamilton pitted a lap after. They're going to know what tyres they're putting on Hamilton, aren't they? So they have listened to Bottas. They've gone a firm Bottas or whatever they said. And they've just completely ignored him um, and, and taken it, obviously, for the team strategy. Now, if I was Bottas, I'd be mad. I would be fuming because let's flip reverse. Would they do the same to Hamilton? I don't think so. Well, I think when Botas made that call about wanting to go on the opposite strategy, we all understand and accept that Botas is the number two driver there. He's heard or been informed about Lewis complaining about his tires. It's very rare they're going to pit Botas first and basically give him an opportunity to undercut Lewis. So when he made that call, he was operating under the assumption that Lewis was going to pit first. So he would have the opportunity to inverse the strategy. However, when Botas got brought in first, now, all of a sudden, they're playing the end game for him, and they're going to want to match that with Lewis. So I don't necessarily believe it was a malicious call. I believe it was just poor timing for Botas, unfortunately. But in the same breath, when he says, I want to go on the opposite strategy, Lewis is still going to make the decision for his tires. So you almost, as Botas, have to guarantee that Lewis boxes before you. Otherwise, you're giving away the initiative and the control of that scenario. And he's he's right to be mad about that. So my grasp is this, is obviously just a reminder, I haven't seen this race, and it's really irritating hearing it from all of you first, got to say. My understanding is that Hamilton took over Bottas fair and square on the track. Yeah? So yeah. when it comes to pit strategies... If they're going to give anyone the advantage, it would be Lewis because he's the lead car. He's also the number one driver. So Bottas demanding to be on a different strategy to Lewis, it's not really going to pay off for him anyway because he's behind for one. And two, he's just the second driver anyway. You know, as soon as he got overtaken, the Mercedes pit wall would have been like, right, well, you know, we're not going to give him the advantage anymore, are we? You know, and that's how I see it. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it for Bottas is down to frustration because he was fastest through all the free practice sessions. He seemed to be quicker than Lewis um, throughout all those sessions. And it wasn't until the very, very last stage of qualifying when, you know, Lewis showed his true pace. Um, so it must be so, so frustrating for him. I was getting sort of uh, kind of uh, like Rosberg, Hamilton kind of thoughts going through my head because I was like, uh, I thought to myself at one point, you know, you were saying, Callum, uh, about kind of, you know, I think earlier Bottas having a bit of, you know, showing some balls and actually trying to fight his corner. And I felt like we're so far on in their partnership, you know, Hamilton and Bottas and, Ham- um, and Bottas and Mercedes that 
because he's just been a walkover and happy to earn big money and just basically be kind of like the sort of safety driver. I just, I thought, you know, is, is it a bit late in the day? As much as I think he's a great driver, he seems like a really nice chap. Has he left it a bit late to come on? Well, I'm, just, I'm laughing at the nice chap comment because that's, he is a nice chap, but that's not why he's employed by Mercedes, is it? I mean, but obviously not. I did say he was a good driver, but, he, you know, but everyone talks about, you know, Daniel Ricciardo being a nice guy and they forget that he's a ruthless driver. Exactly, exactly. But Bottas think, isn't ruthless. What's, what's interesting? No, he's Finnish. <laughs> Bottas pits. He takes a 2.7 second pit stop. And when he comes out, he's then 7.7 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton. So this... This pit didn't really work for him at all, did it? Um, and actually, Lewis then increased the lead to, I've got nine point seconds here. But none of that really mattered, did it? Um, because of what happened next, which was a 170 mile an hour collision straight into the barriers from Lance Stroll. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> that is so morbid. I, I'm what? glad he's alive. I, I'm just I'm being glad he's okay. the moral high ground what? here. No, on all honesty, what? yes, I am glad it's... he's okay. The car looked absolutely totaled. Um, that is one massive repair job. But to be honest, I really wanted Daniel Ricciardo to get a podium. Um, you know, it was the little battle that they had between Stroll and Ricciardo. I, I was just like, you know, in my head, I'm going, please, just something happened to Stroll or, you know, come on, send it down the outside or something like that, because I'm not a Stroll fan. You know, I'm not a Stroll fan. And I just didn't really I didn't want him to get on the podium today at all. So I'm glad he's OK. Um, but, yeah, I was um, feeling a little bit smug when I saw him going into the barriers. <laughs> what caused this accident? You've all just sort of said, oh, yeah, 170 mile an hour crash. I'm sat here not seeing it yet. Come on. Like, what actually happened? Did he lose control? Did someone make him spin out? What happened? He lost control on his own, but I think he hit the curb and um, don't really know what was going on. I couldn't quite make out what was going on just before he hit the curb, but the minute he hit the curb, he just lost the rear end and he went spinning at the wall. Both the front and the rear of the car were absolutely totaled. There was no wow. chance, at, not to defend Lance Stroll, even though I'm going to, uh, there was no possible way he could have controlled that. It was instantaneous snap oversteer. And by the time he even, as a human, tried to react, it was already gone. It was already 70 degrees towards the wall before he was even able to put any steering lock in. So there was no, there was no puncture. I don't know if it was a suspension failure, what it was in that left rear, but it rotated that car frighteningly went towards the wall. Uh, wow. And when he impacted, the, I don't know, well, obviously you haven't seen it, Callum, but... Uh, All right, don't rub it in. The shot... Leave uh, it out. Uh, the, basically, the rear axle was almost sheared from the frame rail. Uh, the frame rails were pointed you know, towards 12 o'clock, and the rear axle was pointed towards 5 o'clock. That's the amount of force on this impact. Uh, Jesus. You know, we all rag on Lance Stroll. We all wish that it was Sergio Perez there next year. Uh, just a testament to the engineering and design of these cars that he's safe. But we all kind of cheered a little bit too once he was safe and moving out of the car uh, because we all wanted to see that Danny podium. 
So this was one of those crashes where you see that there's been an accident on the on the live TV feed, but you don't see it. That's how serious a, a bigger impact this was. We weren't sure if he was okay for quite a while. I mean, it seemed like a lifetime. It's probably only about 20 seconds, but we didn't know who it was. Um, and like you said, this car was total. That It didn't even resemble a Formula 1 car. If they can rebuild that, then, well, I don't think they can. I think that's, that's chucking yeah, in. That's your week. Um, did, they, did they show the footage in the end, though, once they realised he was all right? Yes, they did. They did. Okay, and, good. Which is, which is why there's still a bit of confusion as to what, what caused this. It, it didn't look like a driver error. I mean, there's nothing on earth Lance could have done to save that. Um, but we don't know if he you know, may have just sliced the tyre. We, we, we don't know. I think we'll, we'll find out in the coming days what caused that. But um, You did see in the um, over team radio that he thought he had a puncture. So it's it's possible they could have clunked one of those curves because over Team Radio, Mercedes were telling Hamilton and Bottas to stay off of the curves. Um, so it could have been that he had just clunked one of the curves and it caused a puncture and he, and he spun off. But uh, yeah, he, he was saying that he thought he had a puncture. What I do have to just drop a comment on is, is the Italian marshals do, doing a, a Hulk-like... Um, fire extinguishing job on this car now and uh, there was a lot it was clearly on fire and it was on fire for a good few minutes but they, they, they didn't just stick the, the the fire extinguisher you know in a side pod they by hand tore the livery off the car it yeah like I, incredible hulk tearing into the hull of an aircraft carrier or something along those lines i actually it gave me um like uh nicky lauder hock uh, uh nurburgring vibes the kind of franticness with which the marshals are running around the yeah. shouting and what uh, i i don't know if it's you know if it's common throughout every circuit on the formula one calendar but it's seen this complete kind of oh my god what we have to do a job. We have to, we, we, we've got to do the thing now. The, how can we possibly cope with this? This is unbelievable. We've been standing here in these overalls for days on end with nothing to do. And suddenly someone's come along and had a crash. Well, this is very inconvenient. I thought, why are they, sh- why are they shouting? Surely they're expecting this. It needed some of like some old vaudeville humor soundtrack to it. Like <laughs> <laughs> people running around the car and screaming and thinking, uh, it, it it cracked me up in that the guy uh, – I don't remember if you all remember the shot. One of the marshals was up there with the fire extinguisher. I don't think he even depleted the fire extinguisher. He just realized he didn't have enough left in it. So he just throws it to the side <laughs> of, the, of the track and starts screaming at everybody around him because there's not instantaneously another extinguisher manifesting itself in his hands. <laughs> I was cracking up at that. I mean, good play to them for being quick and being uh, invested in the speed of their... That's passion, that is. So that was the second red flag out, um, which is the... Matt, you're going to have to correct me here. I'm not as good as Crofty yet, but that is the third time in history of F1 that there's been two red flags. Oh, you would put me on the spot like that. I believe it was the third... uh, I just remember from the broadcast, there was one in 1986. I looked it up earlier. I didn't write it down because I make poor life decisions. Uh, but, but I believe it is the third Grand Prix with two red flags in the entirety of F1. 1,024 races we've had. Um, and that's the third time it's happened. Could be the fourth. I can see Matt Googling it now. But um, so, yeah, this, this was a race that you just didn't want to miss. Now, there was a bit of a showdown towards the end. Um, 
well, I say a showdown. Hamilton ran away with it. Bottas followed him along. Um, but it was Ricardo and Albon, wasn't it, really? So, God, I wanted uh, Ricardo to finish on the podium, but it, it, it wasn't going to be that way today. It was Ricardo and Albon, and it was also George Russell. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen on the pit had the five-second penalty for an incorrect entry. And George Russell did everything in his power to stay with my boy, Sebastian Vettel, with his tire deg. And to George Russell's credit, he drove the wheels off that car, and you couldn't, you could not fight the urge to cheer for him. You know, I'm an American. I am not a British driver, but George Russell is such an endearing human being, and Williams is such a storied franchise that I found myself screaming, get up there, close that gap. All he needed to do was stay within five seconds of Kimi Raikkonen, and we would have had a Williams points finish, which would have made this race somehow even more magical. I am absolutely heartbroken that George Russell didn't get points today. By the sounds of this race, it was probably going to be his best opportunity all season to get points. I'm absolutely gutted for him. I really am. It was so tense watching George losing losing pace to the Ferrari of Raikkonen where he had a five-go, five-second penalty. Um, it, it really was painful to watch, and I, 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 I do feel for George. Um, but as we've said, in the end, it did finish with Hamilton, Bottas and Albon. Um, where did Ricardo finish in the end? Fourth. Which is, which is, I mean, I was really excited for, for Danny Rick when he got in and he sat and I heard him go, let's finish what we started. I thought that could either be great or it won't age well at all. And I was so disappointed to see him just not be able to keep up with the Honda power of the Red Bull. It was I was really I was really praying. I was thinking, yeah, this guy's worked hard and you know it'd be nice for him to get a podium before he leaves Renault and goes off to McLaren to hopefully do better things. But, you know, I guess you know, you've got to hand it to Albon as well. He, you know, really, really showed his his class and, and what potential he's got as well for the future. And one of the things that I pick up in the broadcast and made a specific note about uh in the pre race show they cut to Christian Horner talking to Alex Albon. Uh, I personally feel uh, that Red Bull are dangerously close to going down the road of Ferrari for being so cutthroat and unrealistic in their expectations of their drivers. Sometimes uh, Pierre Gasly has shown his talent this year, partially due, I believe to him being cut from Red Bull, but we have given Alex Albon such a wide berth of grace in allowing and understanding it's match for staff, and you're going to have to drive very hard to keep up with that. But how does it affect your psyche that the guy you replace just won last week? You know, and you have Helmet Marco breathing on your neck. We need more. We need faster. We need better. And uh, from what I could hear on the broadcast, Christian Horner pulled Alex Albon aside and told him to get in there and have fun. You know, I think that's him trying to tell him forget the pressure, forget the comparisons. Forget everything. Get in there, do your job, and do what we thought you were capable of when we promoted you to this seat. And I think today Alex showed that and kind of rectified and validated that decision to promote him to the big boy Red Bull team, in my opinion. 
Yeah, no, totally agree with you, Matt. I think that actually, Alex, as, as as much as you say, he has been given a wide berth, and I think you know, I think he actually had a bit of a a moment uh, in uh, in Belgium. I thought maybe of going down the um, the the Gasly route. You know, we weren't seeing anything from him for a long time, and I thought we could just see another young talent go to waste. You know, maybe he is going to step up and show us that he's got some consistency. You know, arguably he might have done really well in Brazil and also in, uh, I think it was the Styrian Grand Prix before uh, a certain young Brit decided that he was going to uh, make good friends with his left, uh, his right rear, um, which was a bit of a shame. But, uh, you know, I'm really, really pleased. And another young driver coming through the, the kind of, you know, Norris, Russell, Crop, uh, Leclerc, Crop group they've got sort of mate, matey bunch going on there seeing them come through it can only be good for the sport in my eyes and just a quick stat correction here everybody uh that was actually the fourth grand prix to have two red flags uh, obviously this one 2020 tuscany the 2016 brazilian grand prix 2014 japan and 81 belgian grand prix uh so forgive our ignorance and lack of recollection there just sitting back and just thinking about that race wow it it, it I've, I've put some of the highlights on because I need to leave this and go and watch them again because it was incredible. I can't, you know, three pages of notes I've got here on that race and I still can't quite get my head around the whole thing. It was a real roller coaster. And there's so much we're still missing. You know, uh, Lando chasing down Sergio Perez and they were talking to Lando about going for the undercut and Lando just said, no, I got this and blitzed past Sergio, which opened the door for the undercut for Sergio Perez on Lando. There are so many storylines. There are so many highlights. There are so many wonderful moments. Uh, dare I say the most reserved and angry Botox interview. Uh, the other angry person on track, obviously, being Kimi Raikkonen, uh, when he's given that five-second penalty, being talked to by his <laughs> engineer team. We have a five-second penalty. For what? Like, classic Kimi. Shut up. I know what I'm doing. I, it. Uh, it it was everything you wanted as an F1 fan. I can't wait to watch this race. By the sounds of it, it's incredible. Probably going to go down in history, isn't it? This race had everything. I, I cried when George almost, when George didn't get his points. I was happy to see Alex Albon get his podium. I laughed uh, at one of my personal favorite moments of this entire race, which is worth uh, keeping an eye out for. During the second red flag session, they were cooling the drivers down in the cars and somebody decided to turn a leaf blower on in Roman Grosjean's face, which I just started choking up laughing, trying to imagine him on the radio. <laughs> oh, good guys, can you turn it off? But uh, <laughs> race had everything top to bottom, anything you'd ever want in a race. And to anybody who still says F1 is boring, you're watching the wrong sport. <laughs> you're not watching it correctly because it was beautiful. I think I think you've 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 said it perfectly there. Now um, we we did have one um, really interesting uh, question come in from one of our one of our Facebook fans, which I wanted to bring up on this because I feel it's relevant as the thousandth Grand Prix for um, Ferrari. Bart Hillman asked us, I'd like to know more about Seb and his knowledge and passion for racing. He seems to be a very special individual and some of the commentary over the last 12 months doesn't seem to match his true value in the sport as a whole. Now, thanks for the question, Bart. One thing I'd say is it's been a bit longer than 12 months, but um, but who wants to take a stab at at that question? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll go for that, Ollie. Um, Yeah. 
I uh, so I, I am a Vettel fan. Um, I I'm a new convert to the sport, but it didn't take me very long to understand why he is, you know, such a, a impressive driver. I think is the only word I could use to describe him. Um, I mean, for me, the the things that really stand out are the way that he dedicates more time than most drivers. Um, Something I notice when people talk about people uh, drivers like Senna um, or, or, or Lauda or Hakkinen is that they always went into detail um, and drivers say, you know, it's, it's incredible. No one does it anymore. And I think, well, you guys just aren't paying attention enough then because Seb Vettel day in day out is there you know we, there's a we saw him recently uh, training with his mechanics uh, stretching out with the team you know he's got personal trainers he's got a whole team but he you know he made time to go and actually you know share that experience with the guys who you know arguably actually uh, provide the most for the team and are just as important as the drivers um he's on multiple occasions uh, shown he's a gentleman uh, famously telling his mechanics to go and use uh, their fans uh, and their heat on the Toro Rosso tyres. I think it might have been the Japanese Grand Prix. I can't remember, but the point is he's not uh, he's not afraid to help others in need. Uh, a really generous guy with his fans um, and a brilliant driver, four-time world champion. You don't get that by sitting in the car and trying to wait for it to do the right thing. You know, I, this is one of the things which I think Lewis Hamilton is maybe unfairly criticised for is this idea that when you're that good, surely it must be the car. There's a point where uh, human uh, achievement, you know, stops and it has to be a mechanical thing. And I think, you know, I think people uh, unfairly judge him. Uh, You know, uh, he's had a plethora of wins shown on multiple occasions that he's got the maturity to win races uh, from difficult positions. Um, And, uh, you know, I mean, that's 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 for me the reason why I think not only he's a he's a nice bloke um, and 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 uh, you know worthy of being a champion but very much uh, a, a really 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 uh, good driver. Yes, I am not the only Seb fan in the nerds anymore. Uh, for me, you know, I grew up being a Ferrari fan, uh, but the energy, the playfulness, and the calm intellect normally calm intellect <laughs> that Sebastian Vettel brings to the field is something eerily reminiscent of the older drivers from the seventies there in his interviews. He's so personable. He's so animated. He doesn't show all details of his life. You know, it's very rare to see him post up things about his family, but you know, we all know that he's a Beatles fan. He did the voice acting in cars Two uh, for Sebastian Schnell uh, in the German version of cars Two. Like he's so endearing human. And I think the reason I want to see him succeed so badly is he's a very intelligent man. Uh, I don't know if that translates directly to car development, but I also think as well, the importance of relationships are what really drives Sebastian Vettel. Uh, at Toro Ross, when he had that first win, you know, you are lifted up as a god when you win for an Italian team at Monza. And he is one of only two people to ever win for Toro Ross. So let's not forget that. And then went on to Red Bull at, you know, in their heyday made them who they are today, in my opinion, and was so integral a part of them getting Max Verstappen and Daniel Ricciardo by elevating that team that he's going to be supported there. Ferrari are tyrannical in the way they are ran. There's the old adage about Enzo Ferrari had a room at Marinello that anytime a part failed on a Ferrari race car, it would be put in that room. It's basically like a permanent reminder of somebody's failure. And 
think that same mentality can get carried over into the driver's briefings, be it from Mattia Bonotto or whoever else is in charge or whoever else you want to pin it on, that whenever he doesn't win that championship, they're going to point the finger at Seb. And Seb deserves to be celebrated. He is one of the greatest drivers of all time. He has the record for the most consecutive wins ever, I believe 13. Uh, and to be bullied and put down because the car may not suit his driving style, because he's being ridiculed at home in his home base because he's not winning the championships because Ferrari can't keep up with Mercedes. He can't drive around the technological deficiencies of these cars Ferrari are putting out. Uh, Mercedes to their credit have been on top of the game for years now. It is not Sebastian Vettel's fault. You heard it here first. I will say it to the day I die. I still love you, Seb. And I think it's just a toxic environment in Ferrari and I hate to see that because that is my driver, that is my team, but it's not working, which is why this move to Aston Martin is going to be awesome. And Ollie, I love you, but I really hope this dynamic shifts and Sebastian starts winning again so I can stop being picked on. That was, um, that, was a, that was a Vettel summary from a true fan. Everything about that. Um, thank you, man. I really enjoyed that. Honestly, I feel like I want to go for a jog around the block after listening to that. I feel inspired to become a Vettel fan. Um, but I hope that, that answered your question. I don't think you'll ever get much of a better answer to it than that. Um, that's why we are the Formula Nerds. Um, and that's all we've got time for today. Um, we could go on for hours, but we, 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 we also have lives and things, other things we've got to do. So if you want to send us your questions, you can do. You just need to email info at the F1nerds.com or you can just go onto our Facebook page and send us a message. Um, the Facebook is facebook.com forward slash formula nerds. Simple as that. We'll get straight back to you. We may even give you a smiley and as a reply. Um, so until next time, we're out of here. Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you for having us, Ollie. That was great fun. F1 is boring. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I hate all of you for ruining that race for me. Book your ah! podcast. Well, Callum, while I'm editing this podcast, you can go and watch it. Enjoy. Or what? See you next time. This is the Formula Nerds podcast where we talk everything F1. The latest results, what's going on in the sport, controversy, and of course, rumours. Sports Social Podcast Network.